Stardate! 203-44-5677. I feel like Mariah made up that Stardate. That doesn't sound legit. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about a new about new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your reluctant lieutenant at the helm for the night, Grant Davis. Um, and with me on the view screen are... Mariah Gossett. Clyde Haynes. And Mike Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike was our, our captain on an away mission, taking a, a nice milk bath on the trail planet, but... He uh, put on a robe and shot back up to the ship. So you're joining us again. Yeah, okay. I almost didn't make it. Um, I was having too much fun in that Playboy grotto. Um. <laughs> Ew. I, I wonder how clean that bath is. Oh. He's hanging Not out with the, with the symbiotes, just chilling. Yeah, yeah. you want to hear more about it, I can go on. The robes were nice, though. I'll tell you. Did you bring me back a robe, Mike? Because I, I like the robes. I mean, you have to wash it first, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Point being, I was not going to make it tonight, but I was able to slide in. But Grant is our captain tonight. Well, uh, at least as far as the show notes are concerned, I am captain. <laughs> um, tonight we're streaming the pod live over on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter, and we're reviewing and breaking down Star Trek Discovery season three, episode four. Forget me not. But before we, we, we could also call this Thanksgiving, right? It's a yeah. Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> it's a very Thanksgiving um, episode. Before we do that, Mariah, can you let everyone know how they can support this little podcast venture of ours? Indeed. So if you are watching us live on YouTube, great. Hi, nice to see you. You can see our faces. If not, make sure you have subscribed to our audio version of this podcast. You can find links to all of those places at StarTrekPod.co. Also, if you do watch us live, we also appreciate it if you subscribe to the audio version of the podcast. That really helps us out so other people can find the show and we would appreciate it. The other way you can support us is with your dollars for two dollars an episode you can come hang out with us in slack there's watch alongs happening all week there's lots of things to distract you from the hellhole that is this planet right now so you should check out our slack channels um it's a really great community i love hanging out with everyone in there and talking trek uh and we also do some special podcast episodes and so <laughs> don't pull up any maps i'm tired of maps <laughs> look away for a minute mike. no more maps mike <laughs> Um, Nevada, what's up? You listening? <laughs> Nevada, get it George together. George is so close. <laughs> uh, anyway, but you can join us over on Slack, $2 an episode. We also do some special uh, Patreon episodes. Um, I know we are going to talk some more about Trill history and lore over on the Patreon, so you should definitely subscribe. That's patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Clyde, where can people find us to chat on this well, you what know, a, what a segue. I, don't, That's awful. I don't, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm gonna clean it up for you there. <laughs> if you are watching us live on YouTube or Facebook or wherever you're watching us live and you want to participate in our conversation, you want to ask us a question, you want to make a comment that you want us to read capital. If you type capital P capital O capital D capital pod in the chat, that'll help us out to see your comment. Um, and hopefully we'll read it on the show. Yeah. Yeah. We love seeing the feedback. Um, all right. You guys ready to dive into the cave of Makala? Makala? Ma- I don't know. What sure. It was. Anyway, I'm we're going to break letting down. you try. Her name is Kamala Brant. Grant. We are, Brant. We are off to a begging start. Hell of a start, y'all. 
All right, let's let's talk about Forget Me Not, which obviously I can't even remember. The episode was written by Alan McElroy and Chris Silvestri and Anthony Marinville. is directed by Hanel M. Culpepper. 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 Who, and who it's did a, the f- what? Who who did the first three episodes of Picard? Ah, okay. Well, uh, this is the episode where the computer is into silent films. Saru has a very traditional Thanksgiving, and Adira connects with their squid. So, this is Star Trek Discovery Pod. We don't give you guys hot takes. We give you hot freaks. Hot freaks! (laughs) I I didn't prompt it. I was like, who's going to do it? Someone's going to step up and do it. (laughs) I was going to do it, but I was like, I just showed up. They probably have this worked out. I'm not really. I, a I trust the, the process. Yeah, this is what not happens really thing. when the captain leaves the crew in charge of the bridge. <laughs> That's what happens. I like that uh, Mariah did it to the tune of Deo. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch Beetlejuice recently, Mariah? Uh, no, it just lives in my head rent free, so it's okay. Word. So, any takers for who wants to kick off their hot freaks on this? I do. Go. Go for it. All right. Um, just. I have a quick hot freak. I just watched this so I could jump on the pod. But this was, I thought this was a wonderful episode. It was an episode that I needed right now. Mm. I think mm-hmm. um, I think many of us in the U.S. are like going through this very tense moment, obviously. And we've all been going through such collective loss and anxiety and fear of the unknown and going forward. And this episode of Star Trek just magically appeared to speak to all of these things. So many of us have been feeling. We see the crew struggling with this collective sense of of deep loss and fear and displacement that is starting to bubble to the surface in in almost violent ways, as we saw with um, the pilot. Kayla. 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) You know her name. (laughs) (laughs) And we saw all that with the Discovery crew, and we see this very very beautiful character-based story with Adira in which she's being forced to confront like the biggest feelings of loss in her life in order to move on and become a new person. Like I think it was Col yeah, it was Colber who opened this episode with a medical officer's log, which I loved. Uh Colber later told Saru that the idea of this talked about this idea of this personal progression, this metamorphosis someone can go through after dealing with and processing trauma, that that can be very real. And that's something I think a lot of people have experienced. I've experienced it over the past few years, actually. And we saw a a really lovely literal interpretation of that idea with Adira's story, which just just hit me where it counts. And uh, I loved going back to the Trill Planet, Reminds me of Jadzia Dax, one of my favorite Star Trek characters. I absolutely love Adira, and I find the character so charming. Blue Del Barrio is a star. I think this person is just magnetic, and I'm so happy that they're part of our Discovery crew going forward. When um, when the Trills were like, hey, stay here. We can show you what's up with your new Trillness. And, she's, and Adira's like, no, no, no. I'm going to stay on Discovery. I was like, yeah, you are. Please stay on Discovery. I want to follow you. I hope you're in season four. I hope the show goes till season seven and you stay with the show. Um, I'm really into this character. I think 
you know, some of the storylines, some of the some of the way this was executed was a little simplistic, but I think that was appropriate. A lot of it rested on the charm of the cast and just the the vibe of these characters hanging out and us hanging out with them and them dealing with their shit. And I think it's pretty remarkable to see Star Trek stop for a minute and acknowledge that they have to take some time to recollect and deal with some really difficult personal feelings. Um, that's, that's my quick hot take. I really enjoyed it. I'll jump in there and say I enjoyed it as well. And I think that's saying something because when you look at this episode, it is an episode that is driven by the medical officer on the ship. And largely, I got to be honest, Deanna, Troy included, episodes that center and are driven around the medical personnel, particularly the doctors and counselors on Star Trek, aren't usually like my favorite episode. Um, But this one made so much sense and I thought was executed so well that I didn't mind that we weren't in a space battle or we weren't doing a first contact or, or something, you know, incredible like that. It, it, was, it wasn't a space Western. This was like a space therapy episode, and I was all for it. Um, and like you, Mike, you know what I wasn't expecting? I wasn't expecting to tear up during an episode of Star Trek. That I wasn't expecting. But there I was, because the emotional content... Um, whether it was, you know, Kayla Detmer coming to terms with the fact that she wasn't okay and how much it takes to be able to say I'm not okay, right? If it, if it wasn't the family dinner that we've all been to that ended the way we've all ended a family dinner, um, if it was, you know, Michael and Adira and that relationship, the interplay between that. And I thought that, you know, Colbert was the right person to narrate and navigate us through that. Um, And I just thought it was done so well that it felt like it fit. Like it wasn't this bottle episode that could go anywhere. It, It connected to the story that they've been through this traumatic experience and, and they weren't okay as a group. Like physically they all looked okay, but they weren't okay. And, you know, I look at my life and realize that there are times, even currently, where I'm going through trauma and I don't even know. And as a result, you're looking and you're going, well, physically I'm fine and I must be fine. And you you get up and you go to work the next day and you do all the things that you were doing, but it just seems a little bit off. And and how we deal with that trauma is super important. It's to Mike, to your point, especially at a time like this when it feels like we're we've all been, you know, transported 930 years into the future where you can't go outside because the air's on fire. Um, that trauma of losing your freedom, losing all these things, your innocence, right? When you look at this the country that we live in, um, this I just thought was a great episode, both internally to the show and externally to the to the environment. Yeah, I agree with with everything y'all have said. And I think, you know, what an important 
message this uh, episode takes. I mean, there's a lot of important things throughout this episode. I cried a lot on first watch throughout this, just like a lot, a lot. Um, <laughs> and I still teared up on the second watch through. And um, the concept that you have to face your trauma in order to move forward, I think is the message that so many people need to hear right now. Like you can't just overshadow and sweep under the rug everything that's wrong because when you do that, you end up with this that we live in right now. And so I I really thought this episode resonated so appropriately with the right now. I also thought um, Ian Alexander and Blue DeBario just like knocked it out of the park um, for such, you know, fresh young faces in in entertainment that they're really being, and I know uh, Ian Alexander was in the OA, which I think is, I haven't watched all of, but is another very beloved series. And so they're making very smart choices um, with their, with their projects, but their relationship just felt so real to me on screen that I loved it so much. And I do have, you know, my, my nits to pick about a few things specifically surrounding that, but Overall, I was really impressed with this episode. You know me, I'm the person who's like, where's the therapist on the ship? And Culver's like, okay, we might not have one, but I'm going to figure this out as best as I can. Um, and and wa- and watching Wilson Cruz just so gracefully take us through this full episode uh, with his charm and with, um, you know, the compassion that you can really feel that he has for this you know, his character for this crew, but I also think for this actor in this cast, you know, um, I saw during the, anyway, we'll get to it, but I, I, I really love this episode. I know we've been rambling a lot on the hot freaky section here. <laughs> I set but, the tone. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love the, tr- I think the trills are so cool. I love that they hold on to all of this past knowledge and information. I think this episode, while it felt like, again, we sort of completed the plot by the end of this episode, it sprinkled in enough little seeds that I think are going to grow for the rest of the season, that it is one of my more, probably one of my favorite episodes of the season thus far. I loved it. Yeah, I'll I'll just um, follow up on that, echoing everyone's sentiment. I think that I came down pretty hard on last week's episode wasn't really feeling it. And while I thought there was a lot of um, positivity in last week's episode, it, it came across a bit uh, saccharine, a bit corny to me. Whereas this one also offered quite a bit of, of positivity, of, of optimism in, in dealing with some heavy subject matter and did it in such a, a beautiful way. This... This was a powerful episode. I I love how they dealt with loss and grief and this idea of uh, the importance uh, of connections and um, protecting others and looking out for them. These themes, how they kind of echoed throughout the episode through various different facets was just so masterfully executed. And I think I saw some comment from someone just up here that was talking about um, how the special effects were all effectively done in someone's spare bedroom over the garage, which in part is kind of true, right? <laughs> PW Gregory yeah. points that out. And 
the special effects on this were fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked in the first two seasons a lot about um, how Trek explored duality in a lot of the characters, um, whether it's Ash Tyler also being Vok or Burnham being from two worlds or the mirror verse versus the regular verse of a person and how you kind of navigate your, your identity there. But, um, this episode kind of expands upon that with, um, not just, just duality, but just overall identity, figuring out who you are and, um, that being that not just being a uh, a thing you check off on a list but it's a process of of development and discovery uh, what? Sorry. a little bit corny there anyway that's all to just say my hot freak is i loved this episode i thought this was super powerful and this is excellence in character development wow all four of us love this episode it worked for Just us. Just a home run out of the universe. Well, um, do you guys want to start? Uh, I see that Mariah's first note was Dr. Colbert is running scans on all the staff and everyone's stressed out. <laughs> yes, I wrote that down because I also wanted to remember to note. So the little um, like scanner that he's using is based off of the original series and the scanner that Bones would use. So I thought that was like a fun little easter egg that they threw in there but i also like that moment because we sort of got this individual check-in you know using colber as our guide through the ship to sort of see how everyone is managing their stress which i thought was interesting to see you know some of them are working out and then we have burnham who sort of got this like um it you know when you're in front of the cork board with all of the things pinned up and all the lines leading to all that she had like the digital version of she's that gone crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> of her theory board like in her room um you know and she's sort of hoarding things and um anyway i just thought it was like fun to sort of see how everyone's managing this and you see saru trying to be overly logical and like when when the computer is like uh yoga meditation medication less (laughs) dairy and i was like way to read me computer why you gotta (laughs) why you have to drag me like that therapeutic coloring books yeah you know i love that moment and i was thinking how many of these do i need right and the therapeutic coloring book i was like hello amazon (laughs) because i need some of this stuff in my life the no dairy i'm not i don't know i'm ready to go there my body is ready for me to stop saying yes to dairy but (laughs) it um i also but then we get this little um sort of seed planted there where the computer sort of blinks and we see the sphere for a moment and we get zora's voice right from calypso from the short Mm. trick yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's uh yeah, the sphere's taking over. I, I think there was you know, we were theorizing a couple episodes back that oh, is control gonna kind of pop back in? But no, it's actually the sphere which they are protecting from control, which is which fuses in with the ship. And yeah, like you were saying, that was kind of pre- predicted and projected in uh, Andromeda or Calypso. Calypso. Calypso, yeah. I, I love the idea that the um the spear data um, is protecting discovery, even to the point of suggesting great fun movies for them to watch at the end. 
I thought it was nefarious at first. Did you guys? Uh-huh. I, yeah, I was a little worried at first. I was. Because yeah. of how like this this image pops in and he doesn't see what's mm-hmm. going on in the background. And then all of a sudden the voice kind of gets warbled and it seems like it's trying to reconfigure how it's suggesting things in almost a manipulative way. I was like, oh no. It's almost it- as if the show was banking on us remembering Calypso and recognizing the voice that we have positive connotations with. So we wouldn't be, you know, assigning a negative value to this this change in the computer voice and tone. Because that's where I went instantly. I was like, oh, this is the voice from Calypso. This is the spear data. The spear data exists in Discovery. Okay, this is all good. It's weird, but it's good. And the fact that Saru um, didn't immediately freak out when this was happening, he just kind of yeah. slowly processed it. And it seemed like he was cool what was going on. I was like, has has a computer spoken to him like this before? But you find that at the end, that's just who Saru is. He's not, you know, he's not going to fly off the rails in a moment like that. He's going to quietly process and be patient before he acts. And we've seen this before from <laughs> Saru, right? What, what, once you drop your ganglia, you just mm-hmm. light up a, a blunt and you just <laughs> chill, man. You just mellow I the mean, fuck out. I mean, he's got a ton of plants in his ready room. I'm really hoping his ready room, going. like, event. you know how his quarters looked um, last season? And, like, I really want his ready room just to like, slowly be taken over by plants. <laughs> like, he is that plant person on Instagram where every time you look at one of their photos, you're like, did they get another one? <laughs> what what is happening here? Black light in the background, big Bob Marley poster. You know, they're look, hanging out. Look, I, I was worried. I think um if I had to to pick a nit, it would be that this voice of the computer wasn't as clean and crisp for your your viewer who may not have seen the short track. I thought it was intentional. I thought you're not supposed right. to really know until Saru at the end clarifies. I've, yeah, I've seen it, that short trek a hundred times. It's like my favorite one. It, it's mine too, but I'm thinking of the person who didn't, the person who just watches this week to week, and they're like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, because there wasn't really a big bad in this episode, right? You had this one trill guy who was upset for like two minutes <laughs> before the next thing you know, he's he was about to kill out. him, I think, right? <laughs> he was, and that, that lasted, yeah. you know... About as long as it took Burnham to punch him in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next thing you know, he's like, uh, okay, I'll help. Like, outside of him, I was almost expecting, and I think because we've been talking about control and we're kind of expecting something nefarious, something, um, you know, surprising to happen, the voice of the computer, like, I knew it was Zora, but I was like, well, is there something else here too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, I had well, a hint of that. You know, maybe this is bad, but I don't know. It kind of felt like um, this season, Discovery has been feeling like the writing really wants to get to that resolution really quickly. Like, it, do, it's not getting too complicated. It's not getting too deep or tricksy. You can kind of feel where it's going. I think uh, they're not trying to dangle too many threads and right. confuse us. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like let's let's just go along for the ride, and it feels the stories feel more familiar. Um, so I kind of felt like okay, this is going to end up in a good place. Well, I mean, among the list of um, protectors that they really kind of highlight on this particular episode, you 
of course, have the ship now, which is uh, personified and it's looking after the crew. You see that Saru is doing his best to um, care for the well-being, him um, as leader, as well as Culber as uh, the new transitional like therapist, that kind of like taking on that extra hat. Um, Adira is w- along with her. Uh, she's trying to look out for both her squid and the Trill legacy and the crew. Like she says that, that interesting thing to Burnham of like, you know, I have two things, the two stipulations. And one of them is I don't want to let anyone down, which Burnham quickly says you won't, um, reassures her, which is great. But, um, Adira, you know, it's letting anyone down. Is it letting down her legacy and, and the squid as well? That's kind of what I was wondering, but the squid is also, uh, protecting Adira's heart. And so it's just like all these, this idea of like everyone needs to look out for each other, especially in these fragile moments seem to be emphasized without coming across heavy handed in this episode. Hint, hint last episode. (laughs) And I just thought it was really well done. It felt graceful in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of squids, is that a term we've heard before for the trills i believe in ds9 and maybe in tng they've been referred to as worms um but you know squid's fine it seemed to be adira's personal nickname nickname. right Mm -hmm. because we did find out that she basically was suffering from a, a pretty deep form of amnesia um she'd only really she didn't know how she got the trill uh symbiote uh, so she obviously didn't have the proper terminology for it. She mm-hmm. she just seemed to wake up a year ago with a symbiote in her because um, she was really repressing these, these, this horrible memory uh, that we, we saw her face in this episode. So let's talk more about uh, that in particular then, what Adira sees in the bathtub and that somehow... Michael Burnham's able to just kind of drop in and, and eavesdrop on. I don't know how these little milk bath things work, but yeah. that seemed a little I mean, wonky to me. It seems like it's sort of like a portal into some sort of like subspace sort of situation is what I read it as. I was like, there's some visuals though that look like she was going into the sunken place for a second. And I was like, oh no, no, no. Like, it was no, like no, a no, wind no. amp visual. I was like, yeah. oh. What's going on? Saru's um, blunt room. <laughs> but yeah, I liked I, I I liked the way they visualized it though because it it didn't feel you know it was a little um, mysterious but to me it didn't come off as being scary you know I it mm. felt like a a space that wanted to you know get a message across and so like having like the ceiling sort of react to anything that is hurting Adira and then these little you know, almost, um, they, they reminded me of like when a seedling starts to grow, like the very first little pieces of a plant that are coming up out of the soil, especially when they were like connecting to her fingers and made those cute little noises, you know, it was like all of the sound. I thought they did a good job with the sound effects and the visuals of trying to be like, Hey, this isn't a bad place, right? Like this is a place of discovery. It's a place to, to sort of process this traumatic event. Um, yeah. And then we go through, you know, Adira's memories and essentially they have to get past the traumatic event of, of receiving uh, this symbiote and losing their partner um, in the process, which I, I have a lot of questions about the loss of, of gray. 
I'm just like, are we still in the 32nd century not able to fix basic flesh wounds? Like, <laughs> this seemed very similar to what happened to, uh, to Stamets, right? Like, it's something, like, if they have the technology to fix Stamets, why don't we have the technology to fix Grey? Um, I understand it from, like, a plot reasoning, blah, blah, blah. But I Because was, of the burn. But, the burn but got rid this, of all the healing but this was, I actually started, you know, on my second watch, I listened to what the little robots said. And they said, medical protocol dictates that this patient cannot be saved. And so to me, that says there's something very interesting going on with the way these medical robots are being programmed, right? Is it because of a lack of resources? Is it because mm. they only spend a specific amount of time fixing people? Are they programmed to have... Um, you know, a like, are there species that they will f mm -hmm. will take care of over others? You know, like there's all of these sort of possibilities there. Is and there I slightly thought, a parasitic nature to the the trill symbiote that like takes away from the ability to heal yourself? Like, I mean, maybe. Um, I don't think there is out. anything about like the the host and the trill like making it harder for you to heal somebody, but. In, no. in lore of Trill that I right. know of. But the, you know, I thought it was, it was interesting to me because like even right now, currently there are like laws trying to be enacted to essentially say doctors can refuse to serve people if their religious beliefs don't allow them to serve specifically queer and trans people. And so I was like, oh, well that would maybe be an interesting storyline for Trek to say like, Oh, because we don't have enough medical personnel, trained medical personnel. We now have these medical robots, but the medical robots kind of have this algorithm that decides who gets to live and who gets to die, which I think would be a very interesting plotline to explore. And so that's what I'm hoping they did, because that would be way more interesting than Gray died because a pointy thing went into their stomach. Yeah, there's definitely a... Uh a thread there that the show can weave into something deeper and more interesting and kind of dark. If we think about it mm -hmm. to me, it just felt like, again, like, like the show this season is just, it's just want, wants to get to that resolution. And it, it just kind of un very simply says, Oh, we need this character to die. Cause we're moving the story along for story reasons. Don't think about it too much. Like Clyde, I remember, I think it was the first episode of this season. I I compared Discovery, uh, the season of Discovery, to Stargate Atlantis, uh -huh. which is a very light and poppy show. You kind of always knew where it was going. It was really simple, but it was also, and very earnest, but it was also, um, it was a great hangout show. The characters banter, and uh, they were all just great to hang out with. But it wasn't, it wasn't super deep and it didn't have this um, air of trying to be a prestige drama like disco season one and se season two did. And I think that's kind of where we are with disco. I think we're just kind of, uh, you know, we, they're still trying to do some complicated stuff, but overall it feels a lot lighter and simpler this season, even though we're dealing with some big, heavy issues. Mike, I, I liked Star Trek Hearst. Stargate Atlantis. So you were, I was worried about where you were going with that there for a moment. <laughs> no, um, I like that show. Yeah. No, but I think, I think you're right. Is that 
you know, for me, when I look at a show, I'm trying to figure out, has it found its voice? Is it changing its voice? Is that voice, does that make any sense? And I think Star Trek Discovery is really looking to create this voice that is a little bit lighter than it's been in previous years. Um, and it does it does give me more of a TNG feel where there are these weekly events that they're they're dealing with kind of on this mission to explore and to find the Federation headquarters. They're also doing these, you know, they're making the universe a better place each week. Um, and so I think I'm, I'm on board for that because I think, especially when I look at discovery season one, it was, you know, a bunch of cut up episodes of, of one kick-ass movie. Right. And it had that that pacing to it where it was a little bit darker and you've got Klingons and you've got Vok and, you know, I'm Vok, but I'm actually Ash Tyler. This is more like a Star Trek series that's interesting. Um, and I'm fascinated to see how it holds up in light of our new ways of storytelling that are vastly different from the 1990s. Jumping back to the relationship between um, Adira and Gray, I thought there was such a lean efficiency to how they, how the writers and directors, I guess everyone, were able to tell that story and get across this this really deep emotional connection. It was very, um, very effective for me, and I think they only showed like two scenes between the two characters like the the one where gray's about to get the symbiote and then the the scene where the cello the quilt and then Mm -hmm. the the accident and just in those two i really bought into it i i thought Hmm. they they are soulmates they have this deep connection and this this is a genuine traumatic loss for adira that has caused this amnesia of other events and being able to overcome that <clears throat> will unlock the floodgates. Like it, it all worked really well for me, which is why I, I think it made sense that they needed to be able to thread together all of those scenes and have a little bit of a, a little bit of revelation of who Adira is in a relationship how thoughtful Adira can be in making the quilt and, and being artistic and being um, humble, but uh, giving and kind and sweet. And then losing all of that in that instant and being able to step up and have the courage to to boldly go and, and take on a symbiote, you know? Um, yeah. Um, it, it, it all was just written with such efficiency that... I, I mean, I, I guess I think it's really interesting, Mariah, what you're saying, like this idea that they also have that opportunity to go in that, that route and navigate that kind of storyline. But, you know, for the time that they had, I think it made sense for them to go that way. And it was really impressive that they were able to kind of thread it that easily. I don't know. I, I was just really blown I, away. That- you, yeah, you're speaking my, my mind because uh, when I first watched the depiction of their relationship. And we just lost Clyde off the screen. Hopefully he comes back in a minute. Um, 
when I first watched the depiction of this relationship, I I felt, well, this feels pretty simplistic, but it was so deep and emotionally resonant. Uh, and, and it felt just so warm and real and authentic. And it really did a lot of character development for this character that we're going to be following with Discovery, our newest crew member. So you know that she is kind-hearted, funny, smart, loving, but she's also extremely brave. Um, and that those are all that, the fact that she is connected to the Federation in this future version of Trek, that that is just perfect because that's who I want the Federation to be. That's what I want Starfleet to be. And I think um, Adira embodies all those traits. She's also um, very grounded, very unpretentious. You know, it's just, that's just Star Trek. That's just the Federation. That's Starfleet to me. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, I commend the writers for, I think some of the most, natural dialogue I've heard for like young relationship characters. Like it felt very grounded in reality to me, like the little quippiness of the, like, um, you know, there were some, some pieces of dialogue that felt very nuanced and meaningful. Like, of course it's still me. I'm just more me, you know, like that to me felt very important, especially to hear like a, um, you know, a trans, actor playing a trans character being able to say those words of kind of speaking like I am the most me I've ever been you know once you are this complete person once you get to be your complete and full authentic self um and then you know the like funnier side of like well of course I'm perfect you know (laughs) like these funny little quips there and then the compliments to Adira and then that quilt is the gayest gift I've ever seen. And I loved it so much. <laughs> it, was like, it was like cottage core, like crafty queers to the max. And I loved it. And like, I thought it was such a cute way to be able to show the span of their relationship and all of these memories that they built in uh, like a creative way instead of like someone being like, oh, remember that time we did this silly thing with the replicators? It was like, oh, we're going to show you that there's small moments that are meaningful as well as these bigger moments, right? Yeah. And that is a true relationship is there's these small, stupid moments that you remember. And then there's the big things, of course. And so I thought it was really great. And then, of course, you could like read into the longer metaphor of the quilt and its representation within the queer community as well of what a quilt represents there. But um, I thought it was, I thought it was cute and I loved it. And I thought their interactions together were so great. And I'm excited that we get to see more of them together with this sort of visual representation we have of gray, which is new and unique. And so I guess we'll see what that looks like because it's now a human, you know, hosting a um, symbiote for the first time. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's what the end of my thought process there. Were you going to say well, something, Grant? Well, no, uh, I, I just wanted to jump over and talk also about, um, the Thanksgiving scene because <laughs> it seems pretty significant. Yeah. Um, the, the idea that Saru was, 
I think I think our first scene of um, Saru trying to get a good assessment of the crew is when he first walks in on Stamets, and he's he's checking on Stamets and asking him like, "Hey, how how are you doing? How have you been? You know, I recognize what you just went through." And there's there's a calculated captain of the ship angle to what he's asking because he's also concerned like you are a valuable asset besides your your personal well-being but he's also checking on his well-being you know it, mm-hmm. like you are the person who can transport us anywhere in the galaxy and if you know dilithium was that what it's called um yeah. is such a rare commodity we need you and we need a better way to kind of jump through the the mycelial network so I, I thought him kind of checking in there was a great introduction to like Saru cares about his people. He wants to follow up. He wants to see how they're doing. He's also considered about the, the larger picture of the situation they're in. And he's just trying to, you know, work things out, but it wasn't until like his, his um, exchange with Colbert that it kind of really solidified. Like, there's bigger problems at stake. And I, I just, I, I love Culber in this episode and how he helped steer the ship essentially. But then at the Thanksgiving was kind of hands off. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, yeah, what'd you guys it, think? That's the, that's the perfect way to be is I'm going to plant yeah. the seed of an idea, but I'm going to have no responsibility in the execution. And I think, um, I think Saru had all of the right pieces to the puzzle, But again, like any family, when everyone is stressed out and you're trying to force fun time, it's never going to work super well. You know, Um, I think they all needed to just air their grievances. And it was just unfortunate for Saru to have planned the perfect opportunity for all of those grievances to be aired. Definitely cathartic, I think. Yeah. Rather than it just being this kind of kumbaya moment of them Mm -hmm. being like, I'm thankful for this round table, like (laughs) uh, an awful 90s TNG episode. This is me making an assumption. Uh, (laughs) I I think... Like, watch it. (laughs) I I think the fact that it it just kind of broke into this this snarky fight with all these underlying insecurities of all of them, mm, it was perfect. you know, I, I want to go back to something Mike used to say about Lower Decks, right? Mike used to call Lower Decks an office comedy, right? A workplace comedy. Yeah. Well, I think about when we when we look at that scene, if you've ever been part of like a dysfunctional work team where you all had these complaints, but nobody was talking about them, then the big Thanksgiving feast was perfect if you're trying to get to to, trying to work some of that stuff out because here we are we're sitting and everybody is they're they're kind of grumpy and they're stressed and they're having all of these feelings but no one's talking about them no one's interacting and so you just it's not even that you just brought them to the surface in a way you allowed the individuals to confront what was going on and then deal with it. And they were able to deal with it and not in a completely holistic, I'm healed way, but a, but almost in a first step, I am acknowledging that there's something going on here. And and it was done through usually Stamets and a lot of people, um, but through the crew as a whole. And even to in some sense, between the ship and the crew, mm-hmm. right? And so I thought that like... It, 
it really worked for me. I wasn't sure where it was going to go or how I felt, especially the, I was most excited about the big buffet that, uh, <laughs> George that was sur- digging into. <laughs> oh yeah. She liked that wine. Well, I mean, in, in part because first of all, wait in, a second. The- so no, George and Linus, Yes. <laughs> Something's happening there. I'm for just, they're something friends. Something is going on. They're sharing I mean, popcorn. Popcorn, yeah. They're g- glances across the table at each other. I, I mean, I will say this. I thought about this, right? I was like, as much as I want to believe they're just friends, I had to run it through my are they just friends filter. It's Giorgio. Right? And I know. <laughs> she. I mean, she. she's down with anything. She used to eat Kelpian. So um, I had to ask myself... If I went to the movies with Mike, right, would one of us give popcorn to each other the way Linus gave her popcorn? And I had to say no. <laughs> like I that would felt offer a little you popcorn extra. and not an asshole. <laughs> no, I'm saying, I would but give it's you'd like, be like, "Hey, do you want some popcorn?" But this was the right. like. I look. I would expect right. you to have like two buckets of popcorn and be like, "Hey, you, you know, I got you some popcorn." But that was like, "Hey, you want some popcorn, Schnookums?" Because you're gonna then it was pop like, my corn later. <laughs> okay, see, I wasn't going there, but uh, you know, whatever floats your starship. I'm sorry, I, it's like, I interrupted your nice thoughts about this dinner, Clyde, <laughs> with my George, my shipping of Giorgio and Linus, but. I, I just hope yeah. Snookums doesn't last up until the whatever century they're in. <laughs> I I do like that we're getting this running thread of Giorgio and uh, and Linus because uh, we were kind of introduced to Linus as a character in in season two, and he was kind of in a background. He's sneezing, he has a cold. Every now and then, he's hanging out with the the bridge crew, and he was always just such a visually interesting character and kind of a comic relief character. The but didn't large really large Oculus range, yeah, <laughs> didn't really have much personality. And they, it feels like the show doesn't really know what to do with George O right now. So to kind of come or Linus, uh, yeah. So to kind <laughs> kind of combine those two characters and have them just be kind of a running gag in the background, you know, that's. That's probably a good idea for now. She was great snarky commentary during all the bickering at Thanksgiving, yeah. too. And yeah. her walking away with the bottle of wine as she's leaving. Right. <laughs> great detail. Oh, mom. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think you're right, though, Mike. They really have no idea, at least at this point, what to do with Georgia, right? She's not... It's, it's like she doesn't have a role in the crew. Oh, she's just treading water. She She'll... She'll go on an attack soon enough. I mean, I thought her little um, scene in the first episode was great, where she or the second episode, I guess, where mm-hmm. she saves Saru at the in the bar fight. Mm-hmm. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm assuming once they get to this sort of much more. I mean, spoiler alert: if you didn't watch the um, coming up next little preview, but um, the the uniform specifically on the what i'm assuming at this point is the federation admirals that they're going to go talk to look much more militaristic and so i'm going to be very Mm. interested to see what this yeah and then like what her role you know because they could be looking for someone that has the ideals and wrath of a Giorgio. oh i used to be an empress of the galaxy no big i also like that they continue to call her emperor Giorgio. like they they're so (laughs) (laughs) into titles (laughs) um so detmer had to 
I, nerdy ass Star Trek. Of course, they have haikus, baby. A haiku off. Yes. Oh, it's a haiku off. Um, yeah, I loved it. I going around it the great. table, I was like, oh, I I would start a fight with someone to get out of this too. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when Detmer goes into hers, her performance was awesome to me. <laughs> like it was so yeah, it was. creepy and unhinged about how she she can't stop talking about Stamets bleeding everywhere and then giggling about it. And she's like, no way, I got to frame this properly. And Sam's is like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah, there was <laughs> a really like unnerving horror element to it. Yeah. That really, that really worked. My, my emotions were all over the place during her breakdown because I was like, this is, what is happening? I was confused. I was frightened. I was scared. And then I was worried for her. Yeah, it's so like it, a perfect psychological yeah. mm-hmm. kind of break that's happening there. Mm-hmm. And she depicted that so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that kudos. being the catalyst for like everyone kind of snarking at each other about like feeling undervalued when, you know, they're they're all at their most fragile right now, having lost everyone, lost their past and all their other kind of connections there. Um, only for it to kind of come up in this kind of childish one one upsmanship that could have felt fake and forced, but I thought it it was very believable, at least for me. Yeah, bought into it. I liked the little kind of go around the table. Also, I need. I saw someone post on Twitter or maybe in our Slack that I definitely need the short trek of Tilly throwing up on the ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> I um Tilly's being like. Uh, when Saru's like, man, I'm sorry about this whole uh, dinner thing. She's like, dude, this is like everything saving in my family. <laughs> yeah, this is Tuesday. This is whatever Tuesday in my family. I love that. It was another little window into Tilly and also a great way to just kind of alleviate like all that kind of tension that was among everyone. I thought this was a great vehicle for Tilly in particular. Um, we got to see some range, right? We got to see shy Tilly. We got to see a more outspoken Tilly. We got to see angry Tilly. And she curses Uh, when she's angry. Yes, she does. And so the idea of her working with Stamets on a solution is interesting. Though I just keep thinking of at what point does Zora get stuck out there by herself and what happens. But Yeah, I I liked the interactions between Stamets and Tilly in this episode. Because you can tell, you know, for... For someone who work is like the ultimate pride, I think Stamets has a hard time coming to terms with, I need help. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, like you said before, Grant, like everyone in this episode is having to sort of accept that they need help from other people in order to succeed. And it's beyond them knowing, like, of course, we need the whole crew to succeed. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to lean on these people for things I didn't even think I was going to need to lean on them for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... You know, I was like, ooh, Stamets is in a mood at the beginning of the episode <laughs> when they have that uh, sort of chat with Saru, because I think he's just like, if I'm not needed to function as this portion of the ship, what is then my place on this ship after that? Um, which becomes that sort of ego trip, right. I think, which is interesting there. Um you know, and then Tilly is trying to push her confidence forward in the area she is the most confident, math and science, right? She's like, this is my shit. I'm ready to go for it. And then she just immediately gets shot down. So it was nice to see the two of them kind of come full circle towards the end when Stamets finally is the like, 
I'm sorry. I was being a jerk. Like, I know I can be a jerk sometimes. Please forgive me. Um, and they sort of move forward from there. And so I'll be interested to see how they use little genius uh, Adira plus Tilly to maybe create something pretty cool. So The, the Stamets Tilly um, thread throughout this episode was a great microcosm of everything that we're seeing on the ship because <clears throat> it started there. Um, with them early in the ship, uh, early in the in the episode, and really, what was going on there was all this loss and trauma and and difficulty everybody's going through is just making the parts of everybody's personality that butts up against the part of someone else's personality like just more underlined, you know. So Stamets is worried that. Uh, like you said, maybe he has lost his place in this in this future where there's so much he's he's lost a thousand years of technological and scientific mm-hmm. development. So maybe Plus he's he, he's not he the sacrificed brightest. his body, right? Like right. He, yep. he gave himself to this ship, right, to be a scientific experiment to save them so many times, only for Saru. And Saru didn't know any better, but Saru to come in and be like, find a different solution. You're being replaced, basically. Find find your replacement. Mm. And it's like, I I am this ship. And like, part mm-hmm. of his identity is completely entwined with it. And like, mm. yeah, I get where he's coming from that like, he can't just quickly be like, oh, that's cool. Let's, let's go with your dark matter solution. Yeah. It, it was it, like the psychology of these characters and how they would interact, like you're saying, Mike is very considered by the writers and creators of the show, and they're doing such a great job there. Yeah, very much. Stamets is is a man out of place, and his fears of being replaced by something or not being the brightest kid in the class anymore um, made him lash out at, at Tilly, whose reaction to being in this new, this new era is, I'm going to work as hard as I can because I'm super ambitious and figure out how to move forward and progress. And that's going to butt right up against Stamets' fears and insecurities. And that is what happened with Kayla as well. The reason that she bro- her breakdown took the form of tossing shit Stamets' this way is because she's been feeling these, um, as the pilot of the ship, who rarely gets um, any specific attention or accolades, uh, mm-hmm. even though she should. And for you know three seasons she's been seeing all these accolades go to stamets and there's some resentment and aggression there and with all this extra stuff that's being pushed on her and everyone around her that rises to the top and it just explodes and it just it felt earned and authentic well i i also think that there's this added pressure of being kind of the last of humanity so far right like you know, you talk about the pressure, like for Stamets, there's n- right now, there's no one else who can run this ship in the universe. I mean, right? but couldn't like, they just like spore up another person and plug them in? Well, I- I'm assuming that someone else is going to be able to drive this, this um, monster, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not too long Clyde, from Clyde. now. Stream. But I do think Clyde that is assuming they there's cannot. quite a bit of, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm wondering if he's like assuming it's because, like, uh, you know, he has all of that data now sort of ingrained into his 
mind and DNA about how it all works. But um, but I was like, they did it with a tardigrade, which is, you know, a pretty simplistic being. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I see some people in, in the chat are also talking about maybe Sam, it's going, uh, going a little too far. I see uh this guy, Sam, this guy grow up and uh, Culver Colbert is a saint for putting up with <laughs> Sam. But, you know, at the same time, like I got, I, I think, I think he deserved to have that little lash out that like they're all in a high stress situation. And that makes sense to me. Yeah, there's like a lot of stress on everybody. I'm surprised it took this long for them all to have a couple of screaming matches at each other. And compare the stamets of this season to the stamets of the first season where mm-hmm. he was just, he was bitchy to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, ah, get out of here. You, you Don't talk to me. You're an idiot. I got too many things to deal with. To like, you know, he's, he's so much more chill and like willing to listen to people. And him laughing well, at it, Tilly during this situation, I get it. Yeah, but but think about it though. Have you ever been in a situation with someone, whether it's your significant other, a relative, some friends, where you've been holding on to something for a little while? It doesn't have to be a long while, but just for a little while. And then you have that big fight, right? And maybe you're not a big yeller. Kitchen but sink. You, but you just but you kind of get all that stuff out. And even if it's not resolved in that moment, it just feels better. It, it feels better that it's out. <laughs> but then the guilt think, settles in, right? And you're like, ah, well, I, mean, I didn't you, have gotta, to do that one. You got to go back and think about what you said and be like, wow. And how you said I, it. And how you said it. <laughs> what fingers you used and all that stuff. Just what, what pillows you, you threw, it. what doors you slammed. Like. Exactly. But you do feel like at least it's out. And I feel as though that was a critical piece. And so I was all for it watching them just kind of go nuts at each other, stand up for each other. It was interesting to see the interplay between relationships. The only thing I didn't quite get was why you had random people at the end just go, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to leave too. Yeah. yeah, I haven't yelled at anybody and nobody's yelled at me, but I think I'll take my train and go. I think everyone was just like, well, now it's very awkward and we should all probably just leave. Oh, are, See, but other people are I, leaving? Sweet. Load up I was with Giorgio here. like, where's dessert? Right? <laughs> like, like, again, all this food all and no pie? People. No pie? No cake? Yeah. I'll show you like, that later. Yeah, it's like, oh, I have to hang out with Saru. Uh, wine cake is eternal, so we all know. Line, Linus will bring the cake. Cake is eternal. Had I wanted to. Cake. <laughs> cake is eternal. I wanted to mention this comment by Chupi. She said, "My first real cry moment of this episode was when all those hosts mm-hmm. came out of the shadows and welcomed welcome to Dira. It was so warm and loving and beautiful, and somehow they made me feel like that was welcoming me." Mm. Uh, yeah, that is beautifully, beautifully put. I felt exactly the same way. It was, uh, it was a great earned moment. It was great to see the faces of all the, uh, all the, uh, the host of, of, uh, of trail past, but that led us to Adira remembering the coordinates mm-hmm. to Starfleet's home base. But when she handed the coordinates to Michael, Michael had a surprised, shocked look on her face. I think it's Vulcan. Do you think it's Vulcan? Yeah, they didn't uh, tell uh, us. Where are we going? Uh, oh, I didn't even mm, think about like it no, being a surprised place. 
I was just thinking, you know, it was surprise. Like, I don't know. It'll be it'll be cool to find out. Deep yeah. Space Nine. That's where we're going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Someone's excited. Um, I wanted to point out with the kind of jumping back really quick to the um, the many uh, hosts of the symbiote. So we saw there's um, a Picard era um, uh, uniform. So that's our first cr- actual crossover event we have here on Discovery with another mm. um, you know kind of current trek going on. There was some kind of what I'm assuming is more now-ish time frame uniforms, um, something from the DS9 TNG era, and then some other stuff I couldn't really, really place. But I thought that was kind of cool. How uh, are these symbiotes like generally transferred outside of uh, a surgery robot? Do you have to throw it up into someone else's mouth? <laughs> <laughs> it's just up the butt. No. <laughs> it's usually surgery. Yeah. Right? And how does it, so it can, the symbiote convinces you, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna die, but I need you to just go ahead and transfer me over to them, buddy. Thanks. Well, they're not dead. They're just different. (laughs) Well, no, when a, when a host is near, when a host is nearing their natural death, if it can be prevented that they just don't die but if you know a host is dying then there is a surgery that takes place and the symbiont is transferred to a a trill that is selected by a committee on on the planet trill like like they said in this episode we got a lot of good trill lore in this episode mm-hmm. um not every trill gets a symbiont there's only a small number of symbionts and uh they can't all be paired with all trills cannot be paired with a symbiont yeah, which apparently, though, like, I know that's what they said, but I would say according to, like, there's a Deep Space Nine episode, I thought, that kind of talks about how this isn't actually true. It was, yes. they kind of made it up that's so that right. everyone wasn't arguing over who got to be a host or not. There were, um, there were gatekeepers in the Trill mm-hmm. leadership that were, that were, yeah, apparently uh, Trills, more Trills can be joined with symbionts that was initially thought. So it'd be interesting to know, yeah, like if the lore has essentially just taken over and the people who know it's not real have all died off like with the burn. And so that myth has just continued. Um, And so like essentially Adira is the ultimate myth buster for them. Yeah. Uh I haven't seen these DS9 episodes in years. And I know you're rewatching Mariah and I'm glad you are. Thanks for bringing that up. I mean, I definitely don't get the bigger back history of Trill, but I saw someone ask earlier in the comments whether or not I understood enough in this episode, and I felt I did. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like they gave enough of an explanation in addition to the stuff you guys have already discussed. This isn't necessarily a, a foreign concept. I think I've seen this kind of shared hive mind concept be introduced in other sci-fi properties as well so i got it yeah, yeah. Um, like a firestorm sorry firestorm my, my add is like fully kicked in but going back <laughs> to your question of where's the federation i saw someone post it and it would also be interesting if it was uh chronos lamo or lamo says that would be chronos. very surprising well i i think we talked to this about about this a little bit last week you know, Discovery left the the kind of the century where they had changed their relationship with the Klingons. You know, at least kind of in secret. So to me, Kronos would be very interesting, especially if we want to get um, Mary Chifo back on the show to play an ancestor of Laurel. 
Which that would be dope. Yeah, we do. Yes, yeah. we do. Of course. Um <laughs> everyone, of course. everyone who is currently watching us over on YouTube and I guess elsewhere as well, if you want to go ahead and put in your comments or questions for us, ask us um anything you want. You you can ask about why my hair looks this way or whatever. Um, go yeah, ahead and Grant joined in, uh, the uh, Mighty Mighty Bostones today. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a new member. Uh, there's a lot of weird rules and stipulations. Uh, you can go ahead and type POD in your comment and go ahead and post it right now. And, you know, I, I wanted to talk about the five words real quick that are holding everyone together. When we find the Federation. Uh, that That's what... Um, I guess it was Culper, right? Who said, mm-hmm. like, that's uh, the only thing that's kind of holding everyone together. And, I mean, we all know that we've already found the Federation, right? The Federation is our Discovery crew. Mm-hmm. That's that's the answer. And it seems, based off of, I didn't watch the preview, but based off of what Mariah is saying, that we're going to find this militaristic... Um, monstrosity that no longer reflects the initial Federation Starfleet ideals, potentially. Don't know. Haven't seen this episode. Um, That those ideals are going to live on in Discovery and what they can kind of uh, proliferate into the the rest of the galaxy. Especially like, you know, at the end of this episode we see that the Trill already are pledging their allegiance. They're like, hey, when Mm -hmm. you find the Federation, let us know. We're we're in there. We're going to join them. So someone explained to me real quick, and this is about that. Mm-hmm. The um, uh, Adira said she was on a generation ship or a generational mm-hmm. ship that was a Federation ship. Am I right? It was. It. She said they were looking for the Federation. So it was essentially a bunch of people who believed that the Federation was still out there. Okay. On a generation ship, trying to find. Okay, it. so she wasn't necessarily a Federation member Mm-mm. or a Starfleet a, member. But okay. I love. It's like. Uh, uh, generation ship. Uh, remember, we were reintroduced to that concept on an episode of Lower Decks. That's where the the ship can, the crew can stay in cryo for really long journeys, mm-hmm. and, and then they can have um, uh, descendants, and descendants like, yep. that take over the ship mm-hmm. over you know hundreds of years. Yeah. Um. Uh. What did you ask before that, Mike? I'm um, so sorry, <laughs> I keep doing. No, that. Okay. Um. I was actually I'm talking if we if we can get into back. slight spoilers of the preview for next week. You said the um the uniforms that the mm-hmm. Starfleet admirals mm-hmm. or whoever that they meet look a little militaristic, probably because they're gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. To me, they just look like pajamas. Like um. But they have more remind- like stuff on the top, like yeah. banners. Yeah. And a they reminded me. Kind of reminded me of my footsie pajamas. So I, I kind of hope Discovery, you know, my footsie pajamas when I was a child, of course. Mm-hmm. Not the ones I wear now. Um, yeah, I'm saying. But yeah, it, I really hope Discovery doesn't adopt those uh, uniforms. I wouldn't want them either. And um, Takeko uh, made an interesting point about one of the episodes in this season being called Unification, which has mm-hmm. to do with the... Uh, the Romulans and the um, Vulcans. the Vulcans, and so that could also be interesting and a very big surprise if the Romulans are also one of the bigger bases for the Federation. Um, we didn't get to see a lot of. I'd have to watch 
more closely of the preview, like specifically looking for ears, I guess, to see what was going on. But I didn't outright see any. And I think they do that on purpose for the for the previews, not to give anything too crazy away, um, that they all typically just looked like humans. Um, It would be interesting based on Takako's comment here. We do have an episode coming up called Unification Part 3. Uh, there was Unification Part 1 and Part 2 on TNG, which was about trying to reunite the Vulcans and the Romulans, as you said. But um, the Discovery crew came from pre-Kirk era Trek. And in pre-Kirk era Trek, no one in the Federation knew what the Romulans looked like. There's an episode where the entire Enterprise crew is surprised to learn that someone who they meet and think is a Vulcan is actually a Romulan. But do you Uh, think Burnham would know what a Romulan is from growing up on Vulcan? Burnham might, yeah. And also the spear data might have that as well. Like, it might just be, if if the Romulans are going to show up this season... Um, they it could just be a, just a one-liner where Burnham yeah. explains, oh, yeah, they kind of look like bumpy four-headed Vulcans, <laughs> or they just point to the spear data, and that clears yeah. it up. I was I was doing some, some reading about, like, the, you know, the sphere data stuff, and so we do have to, while the sphere has a ton of data and information, it does stop at the same point that Discovery sort of stopped in time, so it's not going to know anything really going farther into the future it'll just know everything that existed from that time point back um and so i had a question for y'all do you find that silent film to be that funny that everyone was laughing that hard that was like the one thing that was the most like not believable to me so if you were to show a film to uh people in the 32nd century that you needed them to laugh about what do you think you would pick they would choose slapstick. I, I, I think maybe comedy cyclical and the, the idea is like when yeah. you're in, in zero G space all the time, some things with heavy gravity and slapstick pratfalls is hilarious. I don't know. That was I, so weird. I made a joke, but I think it would, I was like, then I think jackass would hold up in the 32nd like, century because it's just dumb stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was like, I don't know, su- <laughs> super bad. Enjoy that, guys. <laughs> I think what's that going to do for you? I think our our enlightened discovery crew would be like taken aback and grossed out by by jackass. Like this is real, one hundred percent. Yeah. Why would these people do this to themselves? How do we ever survive? <laughs> the Adams family. That's a good choice, P.W. Gregory. I do like. Ha- that have family. you have you guys never had like a friend or someone who just. You know, their parents didn't let them watch movies or stuff growing up, and you try and introduce them to something like like Goonies or, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And some of those are hit and miss. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you'd have to be, like, you'd have to, to think about what's going to hold up, right? Like, my first thought was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, because I'm like, it's great. It's a classic. But if you don't have, if we've evolved to a place where kids aren't trying to get out of school, mm-hmm. then it's it's just weird. It's not funny. Yeah. And so stuff like that, like that's what you have to take into account. Like <laughs> this comment yes. makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Corlett says it's public domain, so it's free for them to use. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> like all of the old nice movies Kevin. that they use are yeah. so much cheaper to. That's license. the perfect answer, of course. <laughs> that's why they did it. That's why it's that's Betty Boop. It's why it's Funny yep. Face. Like. I mean, uh, the obvious answer is Hoobie Halloween. 
Oh, no. <laughs> Damn it. Hey, we got a comment here. Ten minutes. That's how far I got, got into comment. that one, Mike. <laughs> Stress-free K says, uh, will this season have the typical episode where the AI takes over the ship and the crew has to stop it? You know, I think they don't... I, I don't feel like Zora is a bad entity. There might be a point where they have to set some boundaries with Zora, perhaps. Especially she keeps talking with that sexy voice. Oh, it's so f- lots of fun, fun fact. The uh, Annabelle Wallace is the actress who is the voice of Zora. Um, and she, last I checked, was dating Chris Pine. So dating a Kirk. Mm. You said Annabelle Wallace? Mm-hmm. Keep it in the family. She was, um, she played uh, Jane Seymour in um, Don't Google the, that, the Tudors. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. We can see <laughs> in the reflection of your glasses what's going on there. James Worm says, <laughs> you take off your glasses. James Worm says, I still don't like that in 2020, watching a spacefaring show, they roll up to a planet, no satellites, no other ships, no orbital technology. To which I say, maybe maybe they've evolved past that. Maybe they don't need to have just a bunch of spacecraft. Well, Trill so was fun. always kind of depicted as, you know, nature first, uh, yeah. environment first, and uh, technology second, third, or, or fourth. Yeah, the Trill, um, uh, up until I was deep into the Trill uh, memory alpha today, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> they were apparently space-fearing up until the 23rd century. So they were one of the last sort of more you know, quote unquote, modern species to come into space in the first place. And so I think as their society and after the burn, you know, if they're already a fairly fearful in nature species, they're going to be like, oh, space, not up there. No, 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 thank you. Mm. How's uh, it going over there, Clyde? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no. it's not one of those situations where you're like the voice and then you go, mm, nope. Hey, uh, I see you, Chris Pond. I see you. <laughs> WYSIWYG wanted to know, um, potentially the, the Federation's on Corvan 2? Corvan 2? I don't know what that is. What's Corvan 2? That's a good question. Is that, is that one we got to look up? Yeah. Oh, wait. Is it from Lower Decks? Is it? Mm. Maybe. No, I, I think uh, it was mentioned on Lower we'll, Decks. We'll have to research this one. We'll get back to you. Yeah, it's Discovery. Oh, it's uh, the mining colony where they uh, would mine to lithium. Mm. Oh, that would be interesting if uh, the Federation caused the burn, right? Oh. It would make sense that they would be there trying to look for more dilithium, maybe. Uh, okay. Yeah. Or perhaps the call is coming from within the, ha- within the house. You know, we've had inside... <laughs> You've never heard that phrase? The call's coming from inside yeah, the but house? This is not a scary movie, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, this is scary. I mean, it would be, you know, like, basically people in the Federation who didn't like the direction of the Federation who then sabotaged the Federation and caused the burns, because we've seen that in other Trek movies before. Um, so it's definitely something they've, they've um, looked at and used. So that could be interesting. CJ says, no, it's on Risa. <laughs> Rise up. Rise is the pleasure planet. Um, Lamo says, I put something in the comments earlier. Okay. Uh, anyway, the question is, do you think that a little, that little chunk of dilithium that Tilly got from Poe is going to have significance? Chekhov's dilithium? I mean, perhaps, but there is a ton of dilithium on the ship. So yeah, lots, lots and lots. But if it's a specific kind of dilithium, perhaps because, you know, maybe Poe 
altered the... But it could be like, what if that piece of dilithium is closer to the kind of dilithium they were using because they all had access to recrystallizers because of Poe? And so perhaps it's like changing something in the dilithium when it's recrystallizing. Guys, I just remembered Poe's dead. That's sad. That's sad. I mean, we don't know. What if her species lives like a super long time? Or what if she also found a red angel suit and just jumped up into the future? You never know. Yeah. If anybody could do it, it'd be Poe. She's very smart. (laughs) Uh, all right, I think this is a good point to wrap up while we ponder whether Poe is uh, Dead. alive again. I was going to try and alliterate, but I was like, She's just potable. in heaven eating some <laughs> Pomoni <Potable. ice> cream. <laughs> anybody, anybody got a haiku before we leave? Anybody? No, I'm really haikus? bad at the haikuing. I'm out. We are done with Trek. Next week, we will return and talk. But today, bye Out. bye. <laughs> <laughs> Elegant. Very good. Very Elegant. Good. Put it on a shirt, guys. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us on the pod this week. Remember, you can find us live on YouTube and more every Thursday night, talking trick at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time Zone. Mariah, can you remind them about other stuff? Yeah, so make sure you have subscribed if you're here on YouTube or on any of the other live streaming platforms. You can uh, hit that subscribe button and a notification option so you know when we're going live. Also, please make sure on the audio channels that you rate and review us, specifically on Apple Podcasts, you can find links to where you can listen to and or watch the show at StarTrekPod.co. Mike, what's this Patreon thing I've been hearing about? Patreon.com slash StarTrekPod. That's where you can support the pod directly so we can continue doing weekly content doing bonus content and just taking the time to dive into trek um every week for you guys so if you go to patreon.com slash star trek pod you can make a two dollar an episode donation usually ends up being six to eight bucks a month and not only do you support this pod you also get invited to our private slack group Tons of channels in our Slack group in which you can hang out all day with us, hang out all day with tons of positive, non-gatekeeping, diverse Star Trek fans who love to talk about not just Discovery, but all of Trek. Uh, We do watch-alongs almost every night of classic Trek episodes, and uh, there was was a great election channel that popped up this week that was uh, very Mm. therapeutic for for a number of us, so thank you for that, guys. Great memes. Meme game on point. It's just a great supportive community, and you also get bonus podcasts. Um, Like Mariah said, we're going to dive more into trail history, specifically with Judzia Dax in our next... um, bonus podcast episode that you can only get on patreon we've reviewed most of the star trek movies on patreon and um we just do a lot of fun bonus stuff uh for star trek fans at patreon.com slash star trek pod do it now clyde my understanding is that there's nowhere for anyone to follow us am i wrong i mean hey if you're on twitter follow us tweet about the show if you're on ig you know what to do let people know on IG that you watch and follow the show. And you can follow us both at Star Trek Pod. Uh, so tweet, retweet. Uh, but as always, I want to shout out a couple people who hold us down. Karen, who runs our Twitter. James Worm. What's up, James? Saw you in chat. 
who helps out on our Insta. Show him some love. Everybody in the chat, say what's up to James. A round and, of applause. And like JC is saying, uh, shout out to our, our number one fan, Stacey Abrams. Uh, <laughs> she loves Star Trek so much. If you subscribed and did the uh they did like a trekkies for biden and harris thing she did this like quiz part and got like every answer right she is an ultimate trek nerd and she loves new trek because she knows all the cool kids love new trek hey speaking of cool kids loving trek aoc dropped a uh a tuvix reference on twitter this week so hell yeah i don't know who's deep cut that's a deep cut is that the weird looking (laughs) chef dude uh, looks like we got uh, an episode of Voyager to watch no! with Grant yeah! on Patreon. No, please, no. I don't want to do what do you say, guys? We Let's should do, do uh, uh, like uh, favorite Trek episodes from some of our favorite politicians. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Let's do that. Like I'll do some inquiring. You guys, quit giving me more homework. Um, hey, where can uh, Mike, where can people follow you? Follow me at Mike Moody Garcia on Twitter and Insta. And remember, please download the audio version of this podcast. We need those download numbers. Oh, yes. Mariah? I'm at Mariah Gossett on all platforms. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Clyde? Oh, you nailed it this time. Got it this time. <laughs> you can find me at Clyde Haynes on Twitter or uh, keyandclyde.com on the web. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. You can follow me at Baron Von Grant, and you can also go ahead and start packing your bags and move over to Georgia because there's going to be a special election in December. And if you move there and you can just change your uh, residency there and vote, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Anyway, um, we love y'all. We will be back next week to talk more Star Trek Discovery. And until then, live long and make that money. <laughs> and prosper. That's what he said. <laughs>